Hi, this is Saka Berman from the OrthoClips podcast series. And today I'm with Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley, who's an orthopedic surgeon in Portland, Oregon. Also goes by Nancy MD at her website. And she is, a, of course, an orthopedic surgeon, but also a speaker or writer. And she's a host of The 6%, which is a new podcast um, that you may or may not have heard of on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And uh, today we're gonna be talking about women in orthopedic surgery, where are they? Um, Thank you, Dr. Shipley, or should I call you Nancy MD? (laughs) You can call me Nancy for our interview, that's fine with me. Great, so um, thank you again. And can you tell us maybe to get started how you got interested in orthopedic surgery? Absolutely, I I entered medicine in a non-traditional format, I started medical school at almost 30. So I had a little bit of a circuitous route to get back into school. And one of the pivotal moments, I think there were several touch points along the way, but one of the pivotal moments was between my first and second year. And in most schools, that's kind of the only time you get a little bit of a summer break. Um, And during that time, I did some shadowing. I came into medical school thinking that I was going to go into family practice or internal medicine. And as you know, very quickly, it became apparent to me that I was a surgical personality that I wanted to work with my hands. And so I shadowed an orthopedic surgeon, uh, Jamie Cayouette. Um, he's in Southern California, still practicing and um, watched uh, some total hips and some total knees. And, um, you know, I was just amazed. I knew so little about orthopedics as a profession and as a specialty, but you know, just to see the hip laid open, here's this maximally invasive procedure. And then because I spent a, a couple of weeks with him to see the same patient walk in, you know, with the walker, of course, but walk in for their post-op appointment, not even a week later, week or two later, I was just blown away. I was blown away by you know, that we could do something so maximally invasive and have somebody still walk and, and that this person was hobbled beforehand and the restoration of function. But I was also just impressed by what the human body can do to heal. And so that kind of got me interested. And when it came time for my third year rotations, I um, made sure that I included orthopedics on my rotations. And so it was just a week on ortho. I was rotating out at Allegheny General and um, I was hooked. Um, it, and one of the surgeons, you know, very kindly, this is it. And this is like maybe one of my first weeks on surgery rotation as a third year, put a drill in my hand. Uh, we were fixing an ankle and he said, did your dad ever let you <laughs> play with the, the power tools at home? And I was like, well, Yeah. And he told me what to do. And, um, and I was hooked. Uh, So from that point on, I said, you know, this, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going for. And, um, and, and that's kind of how my journey into ortho started. Yeah. And it's, you know, you have these couple of memorable moments that you can point to. I mean, like the shadowing, uh, which then led you, I guess, to tee yourself up to make sure you got ortho exposure, you know, formally. And then I guess an attending who really, um, 
I guess, paid attention uh, to your interest level and uh, you were able to, I guess, able to feed off of that. Um, so that's, that's a great story. Um, and I guess a lot of people can, uh, can relate to that. Um, what, what do you, you know, what would you say continue to be barriers for women in particular to join our field, um, which is very up underrepresented uh, um, by women? And, and what are the barriers for them to succeed once they are um, in the field? Right. We, and your, your audience I know contains uh, many orthopedic surgeons or soon to be orthopedic surgeons. And um, as you mentioned, I have a podcast called the 6% and I named it such because at the time uh, women in, in practice, there are only 6% females. And so um, you are Right, there are very few women in the field. I think this is such a big question. Um, it lies not only in recruitment of medical students, but you know, I I think that the barriers go far, far, far back, even to middle school. Um, in middle school girls, that's where we see the biggest drop off of interest in STEM fields, and I think we lose we lose women that early. And so it's it's a big topic. It's um, it's far reaching and it goes beyond just recruitment into orthopedics from, from the med school level. That being said, at least by my recollection, women are, I think close to 50% in medical school. Now they certainly True. are, I think in my school, <laughs> True. Um, but in orthopedics, we're not, we're not really getting them, uh, and the numbers that we would like. So, you know, I'm in an academic program and right. I think some of our listeners are residents and, you know, they're, they're at some stage of their um, training. Have you um, thought what could be some steps that academic programs like ours could take that might help to increase the number of women in the field um, from your own experience or what you've, you know, learned talking to others Right. I think that, you know, a, a lot of this is not not simply just uh, public perception, but even from within medicine, I will share some of the, the anecdotes from my own experience. When I decided I wanted to go into orthopedics, unfortunately, I'm of the personality that if you tell me I can't do something, it's going to make me want to do it more. But uh, in, in the process of just you know, in the last couple of years, just kind of being a mentor in the in a different way. I'm in private practice. I have a social, a social media presence as well. And I've had many, many women say, you know, I'm in medical school or I want to go into medicine. I want to go into orthopedics. But, you know, somebody told me X, Y, and Z. And, and I think that if you hear it enough times and you're not going to say, well, I'm just going to prove them wrong, that that these comments from a lot of times outside of ortho, you know, other specialties even, or, or people who try to counsel you in medical school as far as what, um, what specialty to go into, you hear it enough times and it, it's going to deter somebody. And so, you know, I think that there is a perception of, you know, what it takes and who should be in orthopedics. And there's, you know, this, the stereotypic orthopod 
And I think sometimes when you don't fit that mold, uh, individuals will be vocal about it. So I think that, you know, part of it is us within the field dispelling myths. And I think that speaking on the various myths about orthopedics is important um, in a public setting and also in a setting in which we are interacting with medical students uh, as they are trying to make a decision about their future career. Um, one, you know, one anecdote that I'll give, and this, this happened to me actually well after I was into practice, I was getting ready to um, do a total shoulder on a patient and I learned from her that she told her endocrinologist that, you know, she was going to have a total shoulder. And of course, you know, the endocrinologist said, well, well, who is he? And she said, well, it's a she. Um, and the endocrinologist questioned her and said, do you think she's going to be strong enough to actually do your shoulder right? And, um, and this is happening now. Uh, and this is happening among my medical colleagues. And I'm, I'm 10 years into practice. And, and so I think that there's a lot a lot of you know PR work for us to do for our field. All right, those are our, those are our colleagues and other and other specialties, yes. or maybe some of our own colleagues, you know, who True. perpetuate that. Unfortunately, right, right. And so I, you know, I think that there are a lot of myths to dispel as far as like, do you, you know, do you have to be this strong weightlifter? Do you have to be an ex-athlete? You know, is it impossible to think about family planning if one decides to be a surgeon or an orthopedic surgeon, you know, and, and then there's the other question of, you know, for women, do, how much of our femininity do we have to relinquish when we become surgeons? And, you know, my answer to that is none. And so, you know, there are a lot of myths that we need to bust, um, not just as women in the field, but as men, I think that it's, it's a job for all of us. Yeah. I think those are important myths that, um, that you're putting out there right now. I, you know, one of the, I guess as being in an academic program, one of the things that um, is talked about is, you know, getting uh, more women faculty members because uh, although you, for instance, had a shadowing opportunity with someone who really uh, got you interested, um, medical students are kind of there and some of them are not quite decided on what they're doing. And if they see somebody who they can relate to that doesn't necessarily project maybe a stereotype that they came in with um, that they might think about it or give it a shot or decide to shadow um, as a first or second year student. Um, so I, that I think at, at the academic level is one of the strategies that uh, programs have, have tried to uh, utilize to generate interest at the med student level. I don't know what your thoughts are on that or have, do you agree or not? Or do you think that's working or? I, I think curious. that's one, I think that's one piece of it um, because it is important for us to be able to see somebody who we can envision ourselves being in five, 10, 15 years. And so I think that's important, but that's not the only piece. Um, I think in addition to rec recruiting more women into orthopedics in the academic faculty, I think it's also important to among both the men and the women of the, uh, of the program to have a good understanding and interest of, of good mentorship and advocacy. 
um, and allyship. I think that those are all important pieces because, it, it, you know, you can have a, a woman on faculty, but if she doesn't have any interest in being approachable to a, a medical student or a resident as far as mentor a, a mentorship relationship um, and they're not open to that, then it, it doesn't do any good. Um, and I think it's equally important for the men in the program as well who are in these attending positions to embrace it as well um, and and embrace it in a way that the women candidates, the women students and residents are not treated any different than the men. I have another anecdote that I would love to share and this sure. is part of that, I think, unconscious bias that, you know, you can have somebody who who believes that they treat individuals equitably, but then their their unconscious behavior says otherwise. When I was a rotating medical student, I spent an entire month at a program in California and it was great. There was a lot of trauma. I had a fantastic time. I, you know, I, I really had a lot of great educational opportunities there. Um, I was paired, and as many and many of your listeners know, you go and you're kind of paired with a team. And so as the medical student, you might spend a lot of your time with the junior resident. And my junior resident was very nice, um, very kind person and easy to work with. And um, but, you know, I think didn't really take that teaching role um, as seriously, or at least I thought, and, um, you know, and I was like, that's fine. You know, not everybody, he's a junior resident, maybe he hasn't quite honed that skill of teaching yet. Not everyone's great at it. And, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. And on my last day, I had an overlapping, um, day with a new brand new incoming student from somewhere else. And it was a male. And I remember the moment when we were standing there in the ER, you know, and this is when we still had light boxes, right? We had light boxes, put some x-rays up. And um, immediately he beckons the, the new kid over and says, hey, come over here. Let me teach you how to read an x-ray. And this is what you look at first. This is what you look at second. And meanwhile, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, oh, so he actually does have an interest in teaching, but it spent a whole month and I learned nothing. And um from this individual, you know, or just what not no active teaching there. And so that really opened my eyes to how unconscious bias can can be a thing and can really affect women or individuals of color or, you know, uh, and I think that's real. And I think that's where education is really important in, in an academic setting. I'm not in an academic setting, but at having gone through the process, I think that's where education of those kinds of biases and having people stop and check themselves and say, okay, am I actually being equitable in the mentorship that I'm offering and in the teaching that I'm offering is going to be a big piece in both recruitment and retention. That's a really good point and a really great anecdote uh, for people to remember and maybe be introspective about, you know, how they're interacting with, you know, students and it's interesting, uh, issues like that, uh, we sometimes see come up in recommendation letters and sort of the wording that someone may use mm -hmm. for one certain applicant versus another, the adjectives, the stuff that you see is kind of on their mind and how they're telling you this person's really good. Uh, and it's like, 
same candidate, woman of color might be completely different. Yeah. You know, just in terms of how you're saying, uh, you're, you're, you know, being effusive in your praise, but you're doing it in a different way. And you're, um, it's interesting. Uh, and I think that, um, like you said, a lot of people are well-intentioned, but uh, don't really stop and think and kind of stay, take a step back and uh, try to realize if you're really being equitable. Um, when do you think the 6% will become the 50% in orthopedics at least? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know that we necessarily need to say, hey, it's got to be 50-50. I think if we can make progress to the point where we are recruiting more women into orthopedics and, and that the environment that they step into is equitable, then it doesn't really matter where that number falls, you know, and I think it's, it's not just a matter of having the training program um, recruit and treat women equally. I think that there's, you know, just the greater, broader, big societal project of making sure that women stay in the field once they leave your program and that they land in a place, whether it is academic, research, private practice, whatever, um, where they continue to thrive, you know, because there are going to be brilliant candidates that come through your program and fantastic surgeons who are women who will take their first job somewhere else and it will be a wake-up call. You know, I, I will say that I myself have been very fortunate in where I landed and in private practice. And, and I feel like, you know, I have done well and I have been happy, but I, I cannot tell you just the number of women who I've spoken to, my women colleagues in orthopedics that have had a, an opposite story. And it's, it's pretty tragic and it's really sad. Well, I think um, I'm going to probably wrap it up there, but uh, I want to sort of put in a plug for your podcast too, because if anyone's interested um, in our topic today and want to hear more about the topic and maybe hear more from Dr. Shipley, check out uh, nancymd.com uh, or the 6% with Nancy MD podcast. Um, terrific interviews. It goes in a lot of depth with speakers. I would say with guests, I'm sorry, from many fields in which women are underrepresented. Um, very slick production, a lot better than mine. <laughs> Do you want to just give a, a quick uh, quick plug or um, something sure. for before we finish? Sure thing. And as you mentioned, the 6% with Nancy MD is my podcast. It's it's just been my passion project over the last year. And, and I think that uh, women in male-dominated fields have interesting parallel paths, even when we have disparate fields of, um, uh, disparate career fields, I will say. And so this can be found on Apple, Spotify, just about any platform where you can listen to a podcast. You can find all the episodes also on my website, nancymd.com. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Shipley. Uh, it's been a pleasure.